The older I get, the more often I'm reminded. Because my wife reminds me of stuff all the time. <coughs> I didn't know I'd forgotten it. She reminds me a lot of stuff that I apparently forgot. Because I didn't know I forgot. You ever been there? Some of you are older than me. You know what I'm talking about. I think it's just an age thing. I started a few months ago taking this wonderful supplement my son told me about. It's called Lion's Mane. It's a mushroom. I feel really good now. <laughs> Lion's Mane. That's what kind of mushroom. That's the name of it. And it really has helped me with my memory. I remember things. I don't forget names hardly ever anymore, which is wonderful, especially being in my business. But I want to remind us of a few things that Paul talks about here, simply because um, occasionally we all need to be reminded. It's easy for us to get distracted. It, it really is. It's easy for us to um, highly scrutinize and micromanage something that was intended to be really, really simple. You know what I'm talking about? We didn't learn to do that all by ourselves. We've been taught through history how to micromanage things. And I would submit to you just one little illustration to help you understand what I'm talking about. The Constitution of the United States of America was written on one page. It was one page. And now volumes and volumes and volumes of books cannot hold all the statutes and regulations that we have in our country. And that doesn't even take into account each state and each county and each city and even each HOA, which so many of us have the privilege of living in. You get what I'm saying? But things used to be simple. They did. I remember talking with my grandfather. My grandfather passed away. I think he was 93, 94, something like that. But I remember talking with him on occasions, and he would make this statement to me occasionally. I remember this distinctly. He said, you know, Ed, he's, he didn't say it like that. He said, you know, Eddie, he said, it used to be that when a man shook your hand, that was his word, and his word was his bond. And you could do business on just a handshake. Any of you ever remember hearing someone say something like that? And now, how many pages of documents do we need to verify and to substantiate and to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and things are supposed to be as they are? So occasionally we need to be reminded of the simplicity, even of the gospel. And that's what this conversation is about this morning. The simplicity of the message. And especially the simplicity of the message that saves. We are no different as people, we're no different today than those who were alive in the time of Christ who had the name of being a Pharisee or even a Sadducee or any of the other sects of the Jews that were around them. We're not any different. And I say that simply because people are people and we tend to do the same thing generationally that folks have always done. And we'll take something that's pretty simple and we'll try to make sure that we understand it a little more clearly and we redefine and redefine and redefine so that at the end of the day we have this somewhat burdensome set of regulations that we try to live by and impose upon others because we figured it out. 
For those of you who may have been with us for a few weeks here on Sunday morning, you know that I've been speaking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I purposely skipped over one section of 1 Corinthians where it talks about what you do in the assembly. And you want to know why? Because it doesn't look like anything we do. And I didn't want to confuse you terribly. Because in that particular passage in chapter 14 and 15 of Corinthians, first letter, Paul talks about how that if you had a revelation, you should stand up and tell the revelation. And two or three of you can stand up and speak. And if one of you have, was, was saying something and another one had something to say, the first one needs to have respect enough for the second one to be quiet and sit down and let the second one speak. I've never been in a church like that. Now, I've been in a few small groups that kind of conducted themselves like that in a home or something, but I've never been in a church service. The closest thing we came to it, and if Billy's watching, Billy Allman, is a shout out to you. The closest thing we came to it was Billy Allman was here. He would interrupt Jason all the time. And that was cool. A few of you have spoken up in my sermons, and you can interrupt me if you want to. That's okay. But Billy was always doing that. It was great. It brought a different level of intensity and, and purpose, in a sense, to the service. It was kind of nice. Some people were uncomfortable with that. I loved it. He loved it. I can tell you that. If he's watching, he'll tell me about it. But I want to share with you a little bit this morning about the simplicity of the gospel. Because it's the gospel that saves. I want you to understand that as we go into this conversation. It is the gospel that saves. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves. It's your belief in that and your willingness to, to, to die to yourself. We talked about that in the adult class and be baptized into Christ. That's what saves you. Respectfully, what we do in this assembly isn't going to save you or not. And, and I know that makes some people uncomfortable because we think, well, we have the certain things you have to do in worship. But I'm telling you, what we do in this assembly isn't what saves you. How long your hair is, men or women, is not what saves you. It isn't. Paul gave a lot of instruction about a lot of different things, and he had a lot of cultural norms that he was dealing with, and he brought some of his, his historical, pharisaical um, perspective from the Jewish church into what he taught in the, in the New Testament church. And I get all of that, and I think you get it too. But that isn't what saves you. What saves you is Jesus. I heard one amen. Can I hear another one? Amen. <laughs> amen. It is Jesus that saves. It is Jesus that saves. I don't know how you pull it off. You quoted everything you just, I know, I know. He gave you the ability to do that. He didn't give me that ability, and that's okay. I can read really well. As a matter of fact, if you'll hand me that Bible that I had on the pew, I'm going to need that in a few minutes. Um, I, I just don't memorize things as well as you do, apparently. But you quoted all those scriptures when you were standing up here for the communion. And I appreciate you being able to do that. I genuinely do. That's a, that's a gift. That's a true gift. And he quoted from the King James. Amen. <laughs> See, I knew that would get a lot of amens. Preach it, preach it. But I'm just here to tell you the King James Version doesn't save anybody. Nor does the NIV, nor does the American Standard, nor does the New American Standard, nor does the whatever, you name it. That isn't what saves. But we fought battles over things like that. I remember hearing a story, wasn't in the church that I worshiped at, but I heard the story and I believe it to be a true story. There was a church that had a real issue because 
you know, a lot of churches back in the day, they would have the communion table up front. Do you remember those churches? And all of the men who were serving the communion would come down. It almost looked like a funeral procession. But they would come down and they would stand behind the table and, and they, would, they would share the communion that way. And there was a church that I knew about back in the south that had a real split, almost destroyed the church because there wasn't a cloth over the whole table, over the communion table one Sunday. It almost split the church because the cloth wasn't over the communion table anymore. Well, you want to know why the cloth was there? Because it was back before they had air conditioning and they were trying to keep flies out of the communion. But nobody said that. They had just thought that it had become a true part of the church service that the men would ceremonially take the cloth off of the table and fold it up beautifully and lay it aside as if we were replicating the burial cloth that Jesus was wrapped in. And it almost split the church. That is not what saves us. And all of us could probably tell a story or two about something that's happened in churches, something about churches that we've known about that's caused an issue or something. And I'm telling you, that's not what saves anybody. But because we are people, we're prone to do things like others have done them. And unfortunately, we keep gravitating and doing some things like that, and we grab onto things like that that really don't deserve the amount of attention that we give them. So Paul says this to the church, and he says it to us. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. By this good news, you are saved. Because if you want to get technical, that's what the word gospel originally meant. It meant good news. This is the good news that saves. The good news that saves is not the kind of songs you sing in the assembly. I like old school songs. Can I say that out loud? I like old school stuff. I like amazing grace. If I ever leave singing here again, and I probably will someday, I'll probably start the congregational singing with the doxology because I like that song. I just like that song. Nothing against what Brandon is leading, but I have preferences. Don't you have preferences? Do you listen to opera on your radio? I don't even know where to find a station that plays opera on my radio. And if I could find it, I wouldn't listen. Well, I have preferences even about music. I have a surprise for you. There's not a song in a songbook anywhere in North America that was like the music that Jesus would have sung. So who's right? Or who's wrong? Or which preference should we have? That isn't what saves you. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is simply the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, if you'd like to follow along with me, I'm going to read a few verses here. Chapter 53, beginning in verse number 1. This is what the prophet wrote. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this world, born of Mary. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. 
Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought the peace of us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, are we healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. We were just quoted those verses of Scripture this morning as we shared in the communion. Jesus said nothing to defend himself. This is not a hellfire and brimstone sermon, but if it gets much warmer in here, it's going to be. Have you noticed how well the heater works? If I preach long enough, baby, it'll really be hot in here. I just want you to know that it's Jesus that saves us. He went to the cross for your sins and for my sins. It was him. It's what he did on the cross that gave us life and gave us hope for eternity. It gave us forgiveness of our sins. It's not what we do. He was buried. He went into the grave. I was having a conversation with a gentleman just the other day. We were talking about uh, uh, Jesus being buried. And I said, yep, he was in a borrowed tomb and he didn't need it for very long. He didn't. He only used it three days. Acts chapter 13, verse 32. We tell you the good news, what God has promised our fathers. He's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son today, I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And so it is stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. He was buried, but he was only there for three days. He was crucified. He was buried. And most importantly for us, he was raised on that third day. Psalm 16. Verses 9 and 10 tell us that the Lord will not be left in the grave. Verse six, chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Jesus Christ. And Christ is not His last name. Christ means what? Messiah. Jesus, who is the Messiah, came into this world. He was born of Mary. He came into this world. He began his ministry around the age of 30. And he went from city to city, from community to community, spreading the good news of the kingdom. The good news. And the good news was, I have come to take away the sins of the world. That was the good news. And then he was betrayed. And he was tried. And he was crucified. And this is what Paul preached. He didn't go into churches and start telling them how to do church. He didn't go into communities and tell them all how to start wearing everything and expected them to take that as gospel and that be the saving, redeeming value of anything that they ever preached. He preached Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And that is what saves us. The death, burial, and resurrection. 
And the coolest part of what Paul states in chapter 15 is in these verses. I declare you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then Paul asked two questions. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? They have no power over us. We prayed this morning in the adult class for David Gargantus. And the challenges and the struggles that he's having in dealing with the loss of his wife. And it's heartbreaking to lose somebody. But I'm telling you guys, even when we lose someone, if they're in the faith, if they're in Jesus Christ, we can know that there is no power that can hold them. Yes, we die a physical death, but we will not stay in the grave. There comes a day when we will be raised. There comes a day when we get a new body. Thank God. Have you looked in the mirror? I got on the scales this morning. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. 225 pounds. Don't some of you wish you could weigh that much? No, sir. What does that mean? I wish I didn't weigh that much. No, I don't. If I really wish that, guess how much I'd weigh? I'd weigh less. Thank goodness I get a new body. I was talking with a lady not, not too terribly long ago. She was trying to figure out when she passes away, does she want to be buried in a casket or does she want to be cremated? I'm like, sweetheart, it doesn't matter. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, at the end of the day, it's all dust. We're just going to accelerate the process if you get cremated by about 187 years. It doesn't matter. Because at the end, when Jesus comes back, whenever the Lord decides to send him back here, when God says, hey, it's time to bring them all home, we all get a new body. We all get to raise up. As a matter of fact, everybody gets a new body, whether you're in Christ or not, because we all get to stand before the judgment seat of God, and he's going to look at you, and he's going to say, welcome home, good and faithful servant, or he's going to say to some of you, I never knew you. And the sad part is he's going to even say that to some of us who sit in churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Why is that? Why is it that we could go to church week after week and on the day of judgment, God look at us and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's all because we didn't honor him with our lives. You see, Paul wants us to understand that that which saves is Jesus. Not what we do. But I'm telling you, when we get to heaven and we stand before God, He's going to hold us accountable for all that we did do or that we did not. But understand that it is Jesus who saves. So when you and I think about this, we need to realize that Death has no power over us. There is no sting in death. It may hurt us physically and emotionally here in this world, but in the end, when it's time for it all to end, it has no power over us. 
And we get to go be with Jesus. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. That is what saves us. That is the power of the gospel. I'm amazed. I'm truly amazed at what some people think about Christianity and about being a Christian. And I'm talking about people that are not believers and that haven't really had any great desire to be believers. But I'm amazed sometimes at the conversations that I've had with some of those folks. Because surprising, not surprisingly, but almost every single time I have a conversation with them, you know what has kept them out of the church? You know what has kept them from believing in Jesus? Us. Those of us who are in this thing called Christianity. And you don't want to know why? Because we don't talk to them about Jesus. We don't talk to them about the need for a Savior. We don't talk to them about the fact that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. What we talk about is we fuss and fight and we bicker and fight and we yell and scream about what's going on in this church and that church is not good and this one is better and that one's worse and this one is worse and this one is that and this one is that. And they're so confused because they never hear about Jesus. All they see is the muddy water around it. That's all they see. That's all they hear. They see the muddy water around it. And they don't really see the heart of the conversation. And our job is to share Jesus. I don't know who sings the song. But there's a song that came out recently on Christian radio. It's called Red Letters. And it's a cool song. Can't even quote it to you. I didn't get it here to play for you. Find it. Look it up when you get home. Check out YouTube. It's probably there 17 times. But the neatest thing about that song is it calls the listener to check out the red letters. And I'm telling you guys, if we would spend just a little bit more time with the red letters, do you know what I'm even talking about when I say red letters? Because some of your Bibles don't even have red letters anymore. You, you, that's the words of Jesus, Okay. If we would just spend time with the words of Jesus, just listen to Jesus, you might be amazed at what changes in your life. Respectfully, we spend way too much time in the other letters of the New Testament and not near enough time in the Gospels. I remember when Lynn and I were in college, Jim Woodruff was preaching at the, camp, the college church in Searcy. Jim had written a little book and in, the, in that book, I think it was in the introduction of the book, he talked about the fact that there was a lady that was a member of the church where he was preaching when he was a missionary in New Zealand. And Jim was struggling with his ministry. He was struggling with working in New Zealand. He couldn't, he couldn't seem to get it going. He was just lost. And he talked to this lady. She was an elderly lady in the church. And she said, Jim, she said, you need to go back to Jesus. She said, if you ever preach anything in the Old Testament, the next thing you need to talk about is Jesus. And if you ever preach on something in the New Testament that's not one of the Gospels, as soon as you finish looking and reading and studying that, you need to go back to the Gospels and study Jesus. And he said that that was one of the greatest recommendations for his ministry that he ever had in all of his life. And I offer to you the fact that you and I need to go back and look at Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to understand His words because He is the power 
that leads to salvation. He is the power of the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the good news. It is His death and burial and resurrection that saves us. It's not all the other stuff. So this week, as you're driving around in your cars, take out your phone and get one of those little audio Bibles that you can get. And they're all they're free if you want to. You can even get King James for free. Audio. And listen. Listen to the Gospels. Listen to the words of Jesus. They sound different when you hear them out loud. It's different when you hear it than when you read it. It just sounds different. And you don't pick up on stuff that's like, I didn't know he said that. As a matter of fact, he did. And it might help you in your walk. But most importantly, it will ground you and it will center you and it will put an anchor down where you need to be living and that is in Christ. <clears throat> Love the writings of Paul. Hebrews is a kick. It is. James, got to love him. Revelation, good luck with that. Good luck with that. If you figure that one out, tell me. We'll write a book. We'll make gazillions of dollars because nobody's ever really figured it out. Except, except this. Two words. We win. Amen. Amen. We win. Regardless of the scrolls, regardless of the seals that are open, regardless of all that stuff, at the end of the day, guess what? Uh, we win. And that is powerful. Focus on Jesus. Stop trying to get people to come to church because this is the church that they should go to. Get them to come to Jesus. And if we can get them to Jesus, then all of us, and if we're with Jesus, guess what? It all fits together. And they'll come. And they'll understand what we're all about. Because we'll understand just a little more clearly what we should be about. So my reminder... Very simply to you, is it is about Jesus. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who is the Christ, that makes any of this worthy of our time to come here today. So I invite you to take that message with you wherever you are, whomever you have an opportunity to speak with and visit with this week, and encourage them, encourage them to find Jesus before they even try to find a church. And then take them to the Gospels and show them Jesus. We're going to sing a song to encourage one another as we sing this song. I invite you to stand. If there's anything about which we can help you this morning, please come and let us know. We'll pray for you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never surrendered yourself and been baptized for the remission of sins that put you in that right relationship with Jesus, I invite you this morning to make that a reality. Allow us to help you in any way that we can. Let's stand and sing this song.